pull your notes out for today's message. It was already mentioned in the uh, video announcements about our fall campaign. It actually, I'm so excited about this one. I just think it's right on target with what we're going through in the world today. And the title of it is, What in the World is Going On? That theme starts next Sunday, and we're going to be dealing for the next six weeks about biblical prophecy, talking about what God's Word says to expect and what we see happening in the world today that may compare to what God's Word says is going to happen. I think it'll be of great interest. It'll be great, encur greatly encouraging to those of you who walk with the Lord, to those who have um, neighbors or family members who don't know the Lord. This is one, you know, they're scared inside. If they're not scared inside, they got their head buried in the sand because, uh, man, there is stuff going. Did you, did you read? I mean, it just infuriates me that ISIS crucified another Christian. Crucified him. 12-year-old boy. Yeah. That's the world we're living in. And, of course, the Oregon murders uh, a few weeks ago, a week and a half ago, whenever that was, uh, you know, the shooter, my understanding is the shooter asked for Christians to stand up, you know, and, and said, Are you, if you're a Christian, you know, you're going to see God real soon here, and he popped him in the head with his gun. And, um, you know, so that's the kind of world we're living in, a lot of, a lot of stuff going, overseas, going on overseas, a lot of things happening here in our world today, and people are wondering what in the world is going on. So that's the reason we called our fall campaign, dealing with biblical prophecy, what in the world is going on. We're kicking it off this Wednesday. Uh, with, with the film, the 2014, so it was a year ago right now, when the Nicolas Cage uh, movie came out, Left Behind, and we're going to be showing that movie here in the auditorium. And yes, there will be concessions available, I understand. So uh, last year we made the mistake of only having one popcorn popper. And I guess the line went out clear down to Smith's Grocery Store down over there, you know. So uh, this year we've got three of them, you know, so we're going to make provision for you. We had no idea how many people would want popcorn. But last year, we showed the movie God's Not Dead. And if you were here, you know I'm telling the truth. This place was packed out. So um, invite your neighbors. Uh, we had the, the mayor of West Valley City came last, last year because one of his neighbors comes to our church and invited him to come see the movie. And he came. And, and so, you know, people are open to, to these things. And... The Left Behind movie uh, is, is really great, and if you didn't see it in the theaters, you'll enjoy seeing it uh, this coming Wednesday. So we invite you to be here at uh, 6.30, not 7, at 6.30, because it's like, is it a two-hour movie, you know? It's like about a two-hour movie, you know, so we got to, you know, get you out by 8.30. So it starts at 6.30, and there are no preliminaries. There's no music, no worship up, up front. We open up, we get going, and so... Be here at 6.30 or soon after that as you can. Okay, real good. We're looking forward to that. You got your notes out today. We're talking about encouragement, which is an interesting topic for today because when I got here and, and the tech team got here, absolutely none of the technology stuff worked. You ever had one of those days where nothing works right? You know, it's a snafu uh, um, kind of a, a, of a Sunday, and we've had several of them. You know, we have so much technology up there, something's always going wrong up there. And so we're always like, ah, you know, 
none of the TVs in the balcony would come on, the main projector wouldn't come on, the computer wouldn't talk to it, couldn't bring the, the notes up, the, the PowerPoint, that, or Keynote actually with, with Apple that you're seeing here above my head. You, you, none of that was working. And so we're there going, oh my word. And I finally looked at Debbie Stanton. I said, I'm too discouraged to preach today. <laughs> Think about it a second. I'm, a little too discouraged to preach today. But I'm going to talk to you today anyway, I, and I would have even if uh, none of this would have worked, I still would have talked with you about keeping your spiritual courage up, about being encouraged. First Thessalonians 4.18 tells us that we are to encourage one another, um, especially as we see the, the return of the Lord getting closer and closer. In fact, this particular scripture is talking specifically about the coming of the Lord, what we're going to be dealing with starting next Sunday and for those next six weeks. But in a general sense, it's talking about being uh, about encouragement and about our obligation to encourage one another. In this particular case, encouraging one another that Jesus is coming back but in, as a general rule, in encouraging one another, being people who encourage each other in the body of Christ. I've been in, in church services, and perhaps you have too, hopefully not here, where I came out more discouraged and beat down than encouraged and strengthened. And, and, and I, I, all I heard out of, and maybe, it, maybe that's not the full message, but all I got out of the service was... was how bad I was, how I didn't measure up, and, and how I'd be lucky if I ever made heaven and so forth. And, and while I will admit that I am probably, when I, especially when I was younger, not considered by most of the pastors that, that were my pastors to be the most, uh, most likely to succeed spiritually and to actually make it into heaven and so forth, it probably didn't do me any good to hear that I wasn't going to make it, that I'm not the type that would ever really make it. I needed help, and you probably do too. I needed to hear that it was possible. I needed to believe that, that, that something could change, that, that I could be a different individual. I needed some encouragement. I have a feeling that you're probably not too much different than I am. But it's my opinion that too many churches and too many Christians leave people hopeless. They leave them in hopelessness. Maybe it's their zeal to initiate a change in someone's behavior, but the way they go about it and the way they approach it leaves the, the person who hears their message feeling not only guilty, but hopeless with a sense that there's no way out for them, that they're doomed. I want you to know that Jesus never does that. Jesus never leaves someone feeling that there's no way out, helpless or hopeless. He'll convict you of your sin, for sure. He'll deal with your sin, but he always gives us a way out, always. The problem is, I think a lot of Christians don't understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. The reason we get we get confused about that. The reason we struggle with that is because conviction and condemnation feel a lot alike. And therefore, we're open to condemnation when really we need to be open to conviction and not condem condemnation. You say, well, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Well, condemnation makes you feel guilty, but it also 
leaves you feeling unworthy and hopeless so that when a condemning word comes against you, you'll have a sense that there's no way out for your life. You have no hope for your future. Life will never be any different, never be any uh, better. Conviction, on the other hand, will in fact challenge you. There may be guilt associated with that. I heard someone say one time, you know, we're dealing with all of these, with our guilt as a nation. We're always, all these books, you know, how to get over your guilt and everything. The reason we we feel guilty is because we are. You know, it's not like it's a false thing. We actually are guilty. The way we get over our guilt is we bring our guilt to Jesus. And Jesus forgives us. That's the only way. All the psychobabble will not heal the guilt in your soul. Only Jesus can heal the guilt in your soul. And that's what conviction will do. You will feel the sense of guilt associated with failure in your life. But it always leads to hope. The hope of a fresh start. The hope of forgiveness of sins. The hope of the help of the Holy Spirit that you can be different tomorrow than you are today. That's the essence of redemption. That's the essence of the gospel of Christ. So if the inner voice that you hear challenging you is telling you that you're worthless and there's no hope, that's from the devil and that's condemnation. He wants you to live in condemnation. You need to rebuke it. You need to confess the scriptures of God, the truth of God's word, and accept his acceptance of you and his love for you. But if the inner voice convicts you and tells you that if you come to Christ, confess your sin, ask him to give you the power to overcome your sin, gives you hope and a way out, that is the Holy Spirit. Accept it, let God change you into a person that he can bless. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not come under the condemnation of heaven when you give your life to Jesus Christ. He is not in the condemning business. He's in the helping business. If he challenges you, if he convicts you, it's solely for the purpose of, of bringing about a change in your life, in my life, that will lead us to his blessings and his favor over our lives. That makes sense? You see, so when God convicts us, it's because he wants the best for us. In 1 Corinthians 11.32, the Apostle Paul tells us why God disciplines us. Conviction can also be compared to discipline. And this is what he says. When we are judged by the Lord, in other words, when we're convicted by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. All right, do you get that? Conviction leads to life. If you don't have con the conviction of the Holy Spirit daily upon your life dealing with you, you will come under the condemnation of the world, which is a which is a terrible condemnation because Jesus said it this way, that those who do not know Christ, when they stand before God and at the end in judgment, in the final judgment, they will hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's the condemnation of the world that Paul's talking about here. So God judges us, he convicts us to keep us far away 
from this condemnation that this verse is talking about. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8 says that we, the only time we need to be worried is if we are never convicted, if we never have a sense of conviction, if we never have a sense of the Lord's discipline. Why? He says, don't make a light matter of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as a child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? It's obvious that the writer didn't live in today's world. Um, that, that's another thought. Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Wow. So if you aren't being disciplined, it means that you aren't really God's child, and that means that you are not a part of God's family. But if you are being disciplined as, uh, you know, we, we don't like being disciplined, let's be truthful, but if you are being disciplined, it means that God is perfecting you as one of his children. All right. And so we receive that discipline joyfully, really, not, as a, not because we like being disciplined necessarily, but because we like the end result of the discipline, which is the perfecting of the spirit and getting us ready for heaven and it also means that we're one of god's children and we can know that we're his children because we're being disciplined for the way that we're acting so be encouraged hard times don't mean god doesn't love you or that he has left you in fact it's quite the opposite they are god's way of perfecting your life and for you to receive a special blessing from god listen to what god says in first peter 1 be truly glad there is there, the wonderful joy ahead, even though going through you are going through a, a rough time for a while down here. These trials are only to test your faith to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test, the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of, of, uh, of Christ's return, of his return. And one of the, that last verse has always captured my attention because most of us think of giving God praise and glory and honor. Notice here that Peter says, when you, when you are tested and you come out purified, it brings you praise and glory and honor at the day of Jesus Christ. Why is that? because it readies you for the coming of the Lord. In other words, you'll be ready for Jesus' return. Now, I want to leave you three thoughts about encouragement this morning. Number one, be an encourager. Be an encourager. It is our calling. It is our responsibility. It is our job. Every member of a properly functioning family has responsibilities in it. And those are outlined by the, by the family itself. Mom and dad decide what's best for the children. Decide how each other are going to function within the family. We have responsibilities. We have duties to, to do. Things have to be done. That's 
and, and somebody has to be responsible for that. That's understandable. The same thing is true within a church family. We have responsibilities to fulfill. Every single one of us who know Jesus Christ have responsibilities to fulfill. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. So Paul is saying, you're already doing this, Thessalonians. Keep doing it. Uh, keep, keep encouraging one another. We have this obligation to one another. And he says, keep it up. Well, how can I encourage you? How can I be an encouragement? How can you be an encouragement to one another? Let me just share with you a few simple thoughts. Number one, bear each other's burdens. Now, the only way you can bear somebody else's burdens is if you know what those burdens are. And the only way that you can know what those burdens are is if you know them. So this implies relationship. And it is easy in the hectic lives that we live in, in, in the United States of America. Maybe it's this way everywhere. I don't know. But for us, it's so easy to get caught up in ourselves. We've got all these things happening. We've got problems. We've got struggles. And we get so focused on ourselves over this. But God is telling us that part of our Christian obligation is to care about what each other are going through and to be available to them. I'm reminded of what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and when you do this, you're fulfilling the essence of what it means to be a Christian. That's what the last part of that verse means. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian in terms of relationship within the body of Christ, you bear each other's burdens. The Living Bible puts it this way. Share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey the Lord's command. In other words, you and I are not an island. God expects of us to care about one another. So if you come to Life Church because it's a larger church and you can kind of remain anonymous and you don't have to know anybody and nobody knows you and, and you don't get bothered and so forth, I'm telling you you're coming here for the wrong reasons. If God has led you to this church, he's led you here to contribute to the lives of other people, not just to be an island unto yourself. And that means you've got to get connected with other people and build relationship with other people. And when you do, you will find out you are not the only one who has a problem in the world that we all do. And you can start interceding. This, this past week, I very quickly just have to tell you that I was given the privilege to attend uh, a pastor's meeting in Brooklyn, New York at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Some, many of you don't know what that church is, but I'll tell you, it is one powerful church for the Lord. And it's a large congregation. Uh, it's in right down in Brooklyn itself, and God has worked miracles. They probably have 10, they'll have 10,000 people today in their many services that they have. And, but we, we had our, our pastor's meeting during the daytime on Tuesday, and then we were invited to attend the prayer meeting uh, at that church. Now they're building probably seats. Well, he told us it seats 3,700 people. Um, I got there, starts at seven. I got there at 5.30. The doors open at five. I got there at 5.30 and the other pastors I was with, uh, they didn't want to come that early. But when I got there, I saw how many people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people 
we're already there. And I'll tell you, the spirit that just down on that place was just, it, I don't know how to describe it. It just was this anointing of God. And I came in and I sat down and I immediately texted my pastor friends and I said, you may want to get here now. The spirit in this place is unbelievable. Uh, and besides that, the seats are filling up fast and there are many hundreds of people here already. By the time the service started at seven, I, because they darkened the, the auditorium, I couldn't see every place. I couldn't see clear to the back of the balcony. I couldn't even see clear to the back of the main floor because of the darkness, but where I could see was in the section I was in, and I would have been in that section right there, the equivalent of that section over there. There wasn't one seat full, empty. Every seat was full, multicultural. You know, just, just as many of one race as another were there. And these people bonded together. And what I, I'm telling you about this was what I, what I told the other pastors when I had another meeting here back here in Salt Lake on Thursday, I said, this was not, I didn't get the impression that this was a bunch of people praying about their needs. This was an intercessory prayer meeting. In other words, people were praying for the needs of others. You could sense it, you could heal, hear it. And not just about the needs within the church, they were seeking God for the lost. They were seeking God for drug addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes and strippers and all kinds of people that dot that area of Brooklyn. And God has given them the most amazing harvest of souls of those types of people being transformed and saved by the power of God. That's what the Lord does for us when we, when we learn to uh, commit to one another and bear each other's burdens. We become, we become intercessors for the, the needs of others, which brings me right into the next point, which is to pray for each other. Um, bear each other's burdens, but do it in prayer. Let God use you by giving you a burden for others to pray for. He wants us to, to pray beyond just our own personal needs. You've got to start learning to pray for other people. If all you do is pray for yourself all the time, you'll become a grump. You'll get so, so you know, a narcissistic grump. But if, if you'll start praying for other people, say, I got so many needs. Listen, I have heard, I've seen people that have had enormous needs of their own, needs of healing, pray for other people for healing, not for themselves. Boom! The healing of God falls down upon them. The provision of God falls upon them. Oh, let me tell you, prayer is being heard by God. But you, you, you follow the formula. God is worthy. I am needy. I am going to give God the praise and glory. And when that when when I do that, he opens the heavens and he pours out his blessing. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. I want Jesus to be close to me. Amen. Okay, enough preaching. No, no. Uh, number three. No, not quite done. Smile. There you go. Smile. This will be revolutionary for some of you. Some of you have such heavy needs, you know, that you've allowed your face to get distorted. When you're going through it, everybody knows. You know, you'll hear it in the hallway, don't go around so-and-so, my, they're in a mood today, you know, whatever, you know. But don't be that way. Keep your, your heavy personal burden, and we've all got them. But keep your heavy personal burden between you and some trusted spiritual friends, counselors, 
uh, encouragers who, can, who will stand with you in prayer, and then to everybody else, present a, a life of victory. You say, well, that's just being phony. You know, I used to think that. I used to think if I didn't feel all up, I wasn't going to show it because that would be phony. But what God showed me was I was allowing my emotions to be my God. And I needed to stand in faith over my emotions, over my feelings, and declare the greatness of God, declare my victory, declare my faith in spite of my pain in my physical body, in spite of the pain in my emotion or my heart. I was to give God glory. I was to encourage the brothers and sisters. And you can do that so much with a smile. So smile. Old song we used to sing. Debbie Stanton and I were kind of reviewing it. You can tell we're old timers used to say, smile a while and give your face a rest. Do you know why I said that? How many of you have ever heard that song, smile a while and give your face? Uh, you know why I said that? It's because they say it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. But the one thing I've learned is that frowning kind of goes along with gravity. You know, so actually it makes it, you know, start. But if you keep it that way, then it'll stay that way. So, you know, you better be careful. All right, number four. Make it your mission to cheer other people up. So this is, again, you're, you're, you're helping to minister to other people. Uh, decide that you are going to be a person who builds people up and gives them hope. Because anybody can tear people down. In fact, you've heard me say this before. I want you to look for the biggest grump in this church this morning. And you go up to them and start encouraging them with a smile and encouraging words. Amen? You're going to take that as your mission? How many of you are sitting next to that person? The biggest grump in... Whoa. Eric, you raised your hand. Which one is it? Pastor Marco or Pastor Sid? Huh? Was it Carrie? You were looking down the road her way. I don't know. Hopefully not. All right. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So go on a mission to cheer other people up. It'll encourage them. It'll help them. Number two... Be encouraged yourself. I know many of you are going through a rough, very rough time right now, but I want to remind you of two things. First of all, what you're going through is only a test. Again, it reminds me of when I was a kid, they used to have on television these uh, uh, disaster preparedness tests that they would have on TV. And now, nowadays, they just run this little strip along the bottom or the top of the TV uh, screen, and it says, you know, if there's an emergency, we'll let you know. But back then, they would have this screech, you know, and then it, this little dot would come on and it'll say, this is only a test. This is a test. This is only a test. If this had been an actual emergency, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> this was during the nuclear uh, threat days, you know, that we had some, some of this going on. It was so stupid. What was I meaning by all of that? Well, my wife's doing this to me. I know what that means. At least she hasn't done this to me yet. You know? But as usual, I ignore her. Uh, so, uh, pray for me, folks. Honey, this is only a test. I want you to know this is just a test. As with any test, they don't come to stay, they come to pass, you know. And what you're going through is a test of your faith. 
So let me encourage you, you stay strong in what you know is right, even in the midst of the test. Because what will happen is if you are strong and stay faithful during the test, God will reward you so much more. Anybody can be faithful when all the blessings flow. It's being faithful when the test comes. If you'll do that, God will reward you in very significant ways. All right. Um, uh, David said in Psalm 116, verse 10, I kept my faith even when I said I am greatly afflicted. So I'll skip the rest of that point. Number two, God will be faithful to you. Be encouraged because God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, he is faithful to do what he says. And so we are in some very tough times right now in the world and in America. We've talked about that briefly. All right, God is faithful to his people. And I don't know exactly everything that's going to happen. You know, I can't predict in detail everything that's going to happen in our world or in America. I don't know about tomorrow, but I do know who holds tomorrow, you know. And I am in his hands, and I encourage you to be encouraged because God will be faithful to you. Romans 8, 28, 8, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Number three. Keep doing what's right, even when it's hard to do what's right. Do what's right. Don't give up on your commitments because you're going through a rough stretch. Don't quit praying because your prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. Keep praying anyway. They are not bouncing off the ceiling. God is hearing them. Um, you keep seeking God. Don't quit coming to church because you're going through a bad spell. Don't quit on your missions or tithe commitments. Now, maybe you're having a hard time financially, but you stay strong in your commitments. And, and it may mean some sacrifice. There might be some things that you'll need to do, like maybe you'll need to take tracks instead of driving your car everywhere in order to save gas money so you can be faithful to God. Maybe you're not going to upgrade to the highest level of cell service, you know. You're going you're gonna to get a flip phone. I don't know. You're going you're gonna to do something. You may have to make some sacrificial things to stay true, but you do it. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. So there are two key thoughts there. First of all, after a while, it's talking about timing. Timing is essential in the plan of God for you. So if it hasn't happened as quickly as you want, you stay faithful and in, in the right time, it'll come to pass after a while. And then it says, if we don't give up, you've got to keep doing the right things no matter. So let me give you an encouragement list here. Let me encourage you to do what's right, to love God passionately, to trust God completely, to give your spouse another chance, to take a job that you may not be everything that you want while you wait for the job that you need. And I encourage you to give the job you don't really want that you're willing to take your absolute best effort. Don't you slack one bit. You give your best effort. Let me encourage you. I was going to take this one out, but I got convicted to go on a diet. I was thinking about bringing a piece of cake up here and just taking a big chunk out of it. You know, it's a, I encourage you to start exercising. I encourage you to start eating healthier. Let me encourage you to read more and watch TV less. Let me encourage you to wash your car, to paint your house, 
You say, why? Because I believe this. You are faithful with a little. Jesus says, I'll make you ruler over much. You say, I've got a rattle trap of a car. What do I want to what do I want to wash that for? Because you're faithful with a little, God will make you a ruler over much, and that becomes a testimony to other people of the excellence of life that you start to live by, all right? Let me encourage you to give sacrificially because you're planting seed for your future victory. Let me encourage you to break off that relationship with that non-Christian you've been involved with. Or I could probably add to this one and say, break off your relationship with the Christian who is dragging you down. The Christian who, there are some Christians who drag us down. Don't hang with them. Let me encourage you to stop living an immoral life. Let me encourage you to smile and get some joy because remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me encourage you to quit taking yourself so seriously. Let me encourage you to learn to enjoy life because it's going to be over sooner than you think. Let me encourage you to read God's word every day, to pray every day, to let your prayer life grow. Even if you're just praying for short, amount, short amounts of time, let that thing grow in you. Let me encourage you to be faithful to church. Let me, be, let me encourage you to quit using foul and coarse language. Let me encourage you to start blessing other people. Instead of fault-finding, start blessing them. And let me encourage you to encourage God by the way you live. Lord, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this because I want to encourage you by the way I live. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.